There is truly a remarkable amount of talent on display here this evening. So many people bringing their gifts to honor the Christ child. But you know what they say, those who can do, those who can't, preach. (laughs) Please pray with me. Everlasting God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you. May they be in keeping always with the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ, whose birth we celebrate tonight. Amen. Every year around this time, a magical train departs from the Glen Ellen metro station. Children wearing their pajamas board the train with their parents, and they eat cookies, and they drink hot chocolate, and they sing Christmas carols. And when the train arrives at its destination, the North Pole, Santa Claus climbs on board to take pictures with all of the kids. The train, called the Polar Express, is a real-life experience of the famous children's story by the same name. In the book, a young boy is awoken on Christmas Eve by the unlikely sound of a locomotive in his front yard. The boy is invited aboard by the conductor and swept on an enchanting journey to the North Pole, where Santa Claus rewards the boy with the first gift of Christmas, a silver bell from his sleigh. The Polar Express in the western suburbs tries to capture that same sense of magical wonder. It is, from everything I hear, a truly whimsical experience, the perfect way to experience the magic of Christmas. So as a parent, what I'd like to know is whose palms do you have to grease to get a seat on this lousy train? (laughs) For three years now, I've been trying to buy tickets. They're completely sold out by the beginning of October. Similar trains run from other stations in nearby towns, but all of those are sold out too. They say these things come down to who you know. You know, that you've got to have connections who can pull a few strings for you. You know, people always say that they know a guy. I know a guy, they say, you know. Forget about it, I know a guy. (laughs) Who's this guy? I don't know a guy. I don't know any guy. And it's not like there's some shady elf who hangs out at the train station scalping tickets to the Polar Express. It's a shame, really, the way these adult concerns tend to intrude upon our sense of wonder. I just want to give my kids a memorable, magical experience. And frankly, I want that experience too. But I'm pulled out of it, forced to contend with the mathematics of train schedules and seating availability and the hard fact that there just aren't enough tickets to go around. There's no room at the inn. No room for imagination. No room for wonder. I keep on trying to make room for wonder, though, whether it's here at church or out and about in a world that's decorated with tinsel and Christmas lights. 
I took my kids to the Advent Festival here at church a few weeks ago. That was a fabulous experience. We went shopping for a Christmas tree at a proper nursery this year instead of the usual stop at the Jewel Osco parking lot. The nursery had cookies and hot cider and live music and the smell of pine filled the air. And I brought my youngest son, Levi, to the all-church dinner this month where everyone was drinking eggnog and joyfully singing Christmas carols. If you were there, you know it was a It was a great night, and we were really enjoying it, too, until a series of unfortunate events led to a full glass of eggnog spilling, more like exploding in spectacular fashion, all over my best suit. Some people know how to make an entrance, but I, I know how to make an exit. (laughs) The eggnog uh, is a good metaphor, though. It's a good metaphor for all of the Things that spoil our sense of wonder and joy. And I've noticed that there's been a lot of that this Christmas. A lot of almost magical moments that I missed. Because I was thinking like an adult instead of a child. I took the boys to see Santa Claus at the Woodfield Mall a couple of weeks ago. They've got a fabulous setup there. Ice sculptures and Christmas trees and oversized decorative presents wrapped in bright paper scattered all around. We marveled at this recreation of the North Pole while we stood in line. And as we got closer to the front, we were led into this uh, tall antechamber with vaulted ceilings and blue lights and snow swirling all around our feet. It wasn't real snow, of course, but the illusion was really convincing. And the kids ran around laughing and kicking it up with their shoes. And I reached down, and I picked up a handful, and I threw it into the air like a child might. And I watched it dance around my head with delight. I took a deep breath of appreciation in that moment, And then I began to gag and cough uncontrollably. (laughs) I don't know what was in that stuff, but apparently I inhaled some of it. I stood there, doubled over, unable to breathe for a moment. I glanced toward the nearest employee, gasping for air, desperately seeking help. She was a young woman in an elf suit who stood, I noticed, just outside the antechamber, careful not to get too close to the snow, She smiled sympathetically, and you know what she said? She said, you're not the first one. (laughs) Not the first one? What did they put in this stuff? Fiberglass? Coal dust? Class action lawsuit? Come to think of it, I haven't been feeling quite right ever since. My kids didn't seem bothered, of course. They were having a great time running and jumping around in this stuff, never mind that their father was choking to death. But that's how kids are. You know, they can get lost in the wonder of the moment in a way that I wish I still could. As adults, we struggle with the idea of Christmas magic. Even here in church, where we believe that Jesus is the reason for the season. That whatever wonder there is to be found is found in a lowly 
manger in Bethlehem. It's an awesome story, a timeless tale. Jesus, an infant, lying in a manger surrounded by shepherds and angels and kings on bended knee. The glow of firelight mirroring the incandescent stars above, pale before the light of the world. As children, we look upon that nativity scene with reverence and awe. But as we get older, we start worrying about the practical aspects of the story. Was Jesus really born on December 25th? Can astronomers determine if there were some significant cosmic event in first century Bethlehem that might explain the Christmas star? Were the three kings really royalty, or were they just astrologers? Why wasn't this story mentioned in the Gospel of Mark, the oldest of the four Gospels? (coughs) Excuse me, it's that snow, I'm telling you. And finally, all other queries and doubts exhausted. We might ask ourselves, did any of this actually happen at all? It's not that these are bad questions, per se. Actually, I think that critically thinking people of faith should ask these kinds of questions. As the naivete of childhood begins to wear off, as the stories we hear in Sunday school begin to conflict with the things we learn in science class, as we begin to understand the world in a more logical and rational way, these questions are inevitable. And sometimes the answers are disappointing. Left-brained, rational, historical, critical approaches to faith are important for building a framework of beliefs and values, but they can also leave you feeling cold. Those practical issues tend to intrude upon our sense of wonder. And there's no room left for it in the end. Or in our hearts. And so, like the Holy Family, we make room for it where we can. The French philosopher Paul Ricoeur famously wrote about three stages of spiritual development. The first is what he calls the pre-critical stage, a childlike state of naivete. Here, we take everything at face value. We accept the biblical stories as literally true historical accounts, and the world is a wondrous, magical place of infinite possibilities. It's inspiring, really, to watch my own kids experience the world in this way. This year, our family acquired our first elf on the shelf. The boys named him Jackson, and every night, Jackson flies back to the North Pole to let Santa know if they're behaving or not. Spoiler alert, they're not. (laughs) And every morning, Jackson lands in a different spot in our house. We found him munching on cookies with crumbs all over his face. We found him sledding down a hill of powdered sugar in our kitchen and sitting atop the Christmas tree with watchful eyes. My older son, Ethan, occasionally leaves notes for the elf And I must be doing something right as a parent, in spite of myself, because one of his notes said, 
Christmas isn't about presents under a tree. It's about Jesus' birthday and love. I mean, I think he only wrote that so he'd get more presents. (laughs) But it was still a nice thing to see. Jackson leaves notes for us sometimes, too. You know, I'll tell the boys to behave themselves, to be patient with each other, not to fight, that kind of thing. He left a note for me, too, but all it said was, I know what you did last Christmas. (laughs) Good thing the elf can't talk. Now, the boys know that they aren't supposed to touch Jackson. That's, That's one of the rules of the elf on the shelf. As little Levi reminds me every morning, if you touch an elf on the shelf, he'll lose his magic. That sort of happens to our faith sometimes too, doesn't it? The more we poke and prod at it, the more it loses its magic. As we get older, as we mature, we move into what Ricoeur calls the critical stage. We look at everything with a more critical eye, relying on evidence and reason instead of blind faith. We interrogate our beliefs, and sometimes they don't add up. Now, this isn't a bad thing. It's a necessary part of the journey because it gets us closer to the deeper truths of our religion. But if we stop there, if we never move beyond the critical stage, then we have lost something really important. We have lost the ability to wonder. And we've lost the ability to believe. Beyond the desert of criticism, Ricoeur writes, we wish to be called again. And that brings us to the third and final stage of spiritual development what he calls the post-critical stage, or what's also sometimes called the second naivete. Here we synthesize the stories of our faith and the study of our faith, earning an appreciation for the power of myth and recognizing the truth behind all of those things that we took for granted as children. We realize that while they may or may not be literally true, depending on what it is we're talking about. These things are like signposts that point to what is true, what is real, an everlasting and ineffable God whose love cannot be expressed in human language, a God whose power and reality are often best expressed in stories. The nativity in its humble splendor is a portrait of that love born on earth. And when we experience the second naivete, we can behold a second nativity, a rebirth of childlike wonder. Being as we were unable to board the Polar Express, my son and I decided to read the book together. He ended up having to write a book report about it for school, which made me a little sad. Already the world was intruding on his sense of wonder. 
but it's not altogether gone, not yet. As he read me the story, I could hear it in his voice. The Polar Express ends with this little boy getting a silver bell from Santa's sleigh. And the bell makes the most beautiful, enchanting sound he's ever heard. But apparently, adults can't hear it. Only the boy and his sister. As they grow older, the ringing grows quieter for her, too. Until she can't hear it anymore. But the boy, even as he grows to be a man, takes it out once in a while and rings it, letting the sound wash over him as it always has. I guess you can only hear the bell if you believe in Christmas magic, I explained to my son. I believe in Christmas magic, Dad, he replied. And in that moment, I believed it too. And in this moment, I believe. Merry Christmas. Amen.